Well, good morning. Here we go again, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Allison already welcomed the people online, but I'd like to uh, do that again just because I know that there are some. There's uh, Jay and Deb in Kentucky and Duke and Wendy in Colorado and Paul and Beth in Ohio and uh, Diane in uh, Mount Vernon close to us. So there's all kinds of people who are saying, hey, we want to find out what's going on and, and are following along in the 40 days plus of prayer adventure. And it has been an adventure. Has anybody else found an adventurous? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, good and hmm. <laughs> I see a lot of heads nodding on that. So as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today, I thought of the story that I'd heard about a guy in his desperate prayers. It was a, a man who was on a sightseeing uh, tour and um, came, was driving around in this big mountain area and he saw the sign that said viewpoint. And so he went out there and looked at it and it was this incredible viewpoint of uh, a, a valley way down below, and uh, as, it, as the, the, it rolled out down toward that valley, there were signs that said extremely dangerous, you know, cliff and, and, and so forth, and, and uh, he, he, he couldn't help but want to get a little closer to look over to see what was all down there, and as he did, his foot slipped on some gravel, and his feet started to shoot out from underneath him, and he started sliding toward the precipice. And he's desperately grabbing for something, anything. And he sees a, a root from a tree that's sitting right by the edge. And he grabbed a hold of it just as his feet shot out over the, over the edge. And his body followed it. He got both hands on that root. And he's hanging there. He doesn't have quite enough strength to pull himself back up. But also knows if he lets go, it's 1,500 to 2,000 feet down there. And there is no question of what the result will be. And so he begins to yell. And now he's thinking, I don't know that I saw anybody else stopping in this spot, but he is hollering out, help, help, until he begins to get hoarse. And finally, in his desperation, he begins to pray. And he says, God, if you're out there anyway, please help me. God, please help. And then he starts crying out, God, God, speak, God, speak. And, and, and all of a sudden, he heard it. Clearly, a voice said, I'm here. This is God. I see you, I got you. Just let go and drop into my hands. He's looking around going, God, is that, is that really you? Is that really you, God? And the voice again, very clearly. I got you, I see you. Just let go and drop into my hands. It's really me. And he hollered out as loud as he could, Is anybody else out there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 could, I thought of that. I thought, oh yeah, sometimes God, when God responds, it's not in ways we expect. Oftentimes, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. And then sometimes when he does, we're not sure we even like the way he does it because it's not the way that we expected him to. And then sometimes there seems to be nothing just silence. And, and we're listening and we're trying to get a sense of, God, are you out there? Are you speaking? Where are you at? And it's nothing but, as Simon and Garfunkel would say, the sounds of silence, which really are some sounds, aren't they? Even though it's dead quiet, it's like, it's like you can almost hear something. And yet we know God makes it clear in his word that he wants to communicate with us through prayer, that he actually wants to teach us through prayer. 
I have come to believe that, that prayer is often more about getting to know God than it is getting the answers we're asking for. Amen? I really believe that. And if we start thinking of it that way, it expands our ability to hear him and for him to actually teach us. Because here's what I absolutely know. God wants to teach us through prayer. He wants to teach us through prayer. So that means we have to be listening to him. We have to be paying attention to him so that he can, can teach us through prayer. So what is going on when God is silent? I want to look at that today, but there are, I think, a number of different possibilities that we will look at from God's Word today. But one of the things that I think I want to point out to start with is sometimes silence can indicate trust or even intimacy. You know, uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, I love driving places with my wife. We enjoy just, you know, getting in the truck and, and heading out somewhere. Uh, my, my dad lives in Spokane, so when we get a chance to jump in the car and head to Spokane, we, we joke about it being the holy highway because some reason or another, God just seems to speak to the two of us as we have that time together. But when we are doing well, now I'm not talking about these, this silence where you can cut the tension with a knife and all that. I'm talking about sometimes we'll drive for an hour and neither one of us saying anything, and we're we're getting along fabulous, but we have learned to trust each other with the silence. And so the silence actually ends up becoming a form of intimacy. Silence can be a sign of intimacy between God and us. It can be that. And so we have to open our minds to that. Is God, does God trust me enough right now that he's trusting me with his being silent to me and that I can trust him enough that I know he's going to respond to me? He will be there when the time is right? That's the attitude that we should have. But sometimes his silence means something, something else. God's silence may mean that you're not connected with him. Might mean you're not connected. That's the problem. The line is broken. I'm trying to speak and there's nobody there. Somebody has cut the line. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. So he's saying, if a person remains in Christ, and if Christ's words remain in that person, then Jesus is saying that person's prayers will be answered. Get the picture of a vine being, uh, and the branch being plugged into the vine. That means that everything that that branch has a value of sustenance comes from the vine. So Jesus is saying, if everything I, if you are receiving everything of your spiritual sustenance coming from me, then also everything you produce will come through me, and even the things you ask for will be things that I would ask God for, and therefore God will answer your prayer in that way. Now, the answer may not be what you want it to be. It might not be even in the way you would like to see it. But we said God will answer your prayers, so I think sometimes, though, we just got to check, are you disconnected? Have you not been 
asking him, not been checking in with him. God wants to teach us through prayer. So sometimes it's just that we're not hearing him. It's silent because we're disconnected. And sometimes it's silent because we're asking things that are not his will. God's silence may mean the request isn't his will. So are you asking for the wrong things? James 4, verse number 3, James writes, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may spend it upon your lusts. Now, James isn't talking about just sexual lust here. James is talking about lust meaning something that you want to get before you should have it or before it's time or just because it pleases you or just because it's your desires and that your desires may or may not be appropriate. James is saying, is that if all you're asking for is for you to get what you want to make your life better, easier, whatever, all if that's all you're doing, James is saying, man, maybe you need to check and see where the relationship is at there. We need to ask God to actually not fulfill our requests if our requests are not his will. You, you, you see how that works? If, if our will is not his will, then we shouldn't want our will done. And we ought to be able to say, God, I, I, this is what I think, this is what I believe I want. And, and I believe this lines up with what you would want me to have. But if it does not, please don't give that to me because I want your will to be done in my life. I don't want to be asking for the wrong things. And Jesus gives us a tremendous example of that several times. When he taught us the Lord's Prayer, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, he said, he said thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's right. That pretty well means everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah. And then when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to, uh, to be arrested and, and, and ultimately be crucified, he is praying, and he would like not to have that happen. And so he's telling God that. He's saying to God the Father that. He's saying, Father, if there's any way, any way, but not my will, thy will be done. God wants to teach us through prayer, if we're listening. Sometimes God's silence just may mean the timing isn't right. The timing isn't right. So he is not responding until the timing is right. Back to uh, the book of James again, chapter 5, verse number 7. James writes, So be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious crop from his land, being patient with it until he receives the fall and spring rains? You too must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. Have you ever had that time in your life where you've been praying for something and God does not give it to you? He seems dead silent on it. And then a little later, he all of a sudden gives it to you and you see, oh, now I see why that is. Now, there are some of you nodding your heads. The rest of you hang on a little while. He'll teach you that too because it does happen. You know, I remember when I knew God was calling me into ministry. I knew he was calling me into ministry. So I was praying for confirmation of that. And, and, and I didn't get any confirmation for six months. And I mean, I'm praying like crazy going, God, I think you're telling me. I finally, after six months, I went, okay, maybe I'm just, I don't know what. I maybe ate, ate something wrong. I don't know. Lord, I don't get it. I just was so certain that was you. But now, obviously, it must not have been you because you've given me no confirmation. I believe you'd give me confirmation if that's what you wanted me to do. So uh, I think I'm ready to check out. And then the confirmation began to came. And what I found out is, had he, he told me that six months before, the conditions weren't right. The people weren't set up. It, the, he, so he would say, no, I put that in you, but just hang tight a minute. The timing's not quite right yet. 
Some of you have been praying like crazy for somebody. And you've said, God, I'm wanting you to just touch their life. I'm asking you to make a difference in them. And then God begins to do things in their life. Oh, I will say he allows things to be done in their life. And their life goes into the proverbial toilet, if you know what I mean. All of a sudden, it, boom, they're, they're hitting the bottom. And what do we do? We run, hold oh, God, oh God, don't let that happen to him. Don't let that happen to him. And then we come and we put him on the prayer chain. God, don't let that happen to him. And God's going, would you leave me alone? Which one do you want me to do? The only way they're going to come to me is if they come to the end of themselves. I've allowed them and their decisions to bring them to a place where they're the end of yourself. And now you are praying against the very thing you were praying for. Hmm. God, would you give me wisdom, maybe, in knowing how to keep praying for them and keep trusting you with them in the middle of what they are going through? God does want to teach us through prayer. Sometimes God's silence may mean he has a better plan. He's actually got a better idea he wants to do for you. You got to wait a minute for him to show you what the better plan will be. Best example of that in the entire Bible that I can think of, or that I could think of, as I was thinking about this with the message is the story of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Lazarus gets sick. He's Jesus' friend. Jesus loves him, it says. And, and uh, the sisters send to him. He's, not, he's a little ways away from them. Say, come quick. Lazarus is sick. You've got to come and heal him. And they're just certain Jesus is going to come and heal him. And Jesus doesn't come to heal him. In fact, in John 11, verse 4, Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. And it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that'd be Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And we want to go, wait a minute, I thought you just said you loved them. And then, but you didn't go to heal him, you stayed where he was, and you let him die. Why? Because he was going to bring him back to life, wasn't he? And God was going to get way much, much more glory through those circumstances. There are times when God will not listen to our prayers, will, not, will seem to be silent because he actually has something better in mind for us. I, I, I have this friend who sometimes annoys me because he, he's so positive about that, you know. It's his, his not working out. God seems to be silent. He's going, oh, I can't wait, man. God's got something better in mind. I can't wait. God's got something better in mind. I'm just trusting him for that. I'm expecting to see that. And I think, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. I love that. God's got a better plan. So sometimes if you just are hearing silence, hang on. God's got a better plan. But sometimes silence can mean or may mean unconfessed sin, unconfessed sin. Maybe you're not hearing from God because there is unconfessed sin in your life. Isaiah 59, Isaiah verse number one, Isaiah writes, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, I need to describe something to you that to, to, so we get this right. Because God always hears you. But what this really means is he will not listen, right? Because, and, and maybe some of you have done this. Uh, where somebody's talking to you and it's just, and it's been too much. And you just say, 
I don't hear you. I don't hear you. I don't hear you. What you're really saying is, I hear you, but I'm ignoring you because you're really on my nerves right now. And, and Isaiah is saying, hey, listen, your sins have hidden God's face from you. There are times when God hears our prayers but will not listen to our prayers, even though we are earnestly bringing them before him because we are living lives with willful disobedience in another part of our life. And here we are going, I know I'm living outside of God's will doing this, these things that I'm doing, but I'm pretending that's a different life or somebody else. And now I'm coming to you, God, and saying, I need your prayers. I need your answer here. God, show me your answers. Do this for me. Do this for my family. Do this for my whatever it is that you're asking. And meanwhile, you've got this thing going over here and God's going, uh-uh. I really want to be in full relationship with you, but you've got to bring me all of yourself. And you've got to be honest with yourself and me. If there is unconfessed sin there, he may not listen to you. You're wandering from him. You're choosing to sin instead of obeying him. And God's saying, listen, there is a prayer I will listen to you at that very moment. When you, are, when you are involved in willful disobedience, God says, I will absolutely turn my face towards you. And I will listen to you for this one prayer. It's called repentance. It means to say, God, I've... I've messed it up. I've been over here. I've been doing this thing, God. And, and you know I've been doing it. I know I've been doing it. And I've got to come back to you. And God, I'm, I'm acknowledging it. Now you're not going to just acknowledge it. You're going to say, God, I'm acknowledging it. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm going to change my actions and walk away from that part of my life. I want to walk away from that sin. And I want to walk towards you. That's what repentance is. And God says, man, my ears are wide open to hear that. I want to teach you through your prayers. We just have to let him. Sometimes God's silence may mean there are broken relationships that God wants dealt with. There are broken relationships that God wants dealt with. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the Lord's Prayer says, forgive me my sins as I forgive the sins of, of others, right? So, uh, so here we just see that, that Jesus is saying, look at, this is the appropriate way. This, I, God wants you to be clean before him. And, and there may be broken relationships that he wants you to, to heal in as much as you can do that. Here's what keeps us from being willing to do this. One is our pride that we don't want to admit we're wrong or we don't want to admit that we had a part in it or we just don't think it's gone down right. Or two is their pride and they don't want to admit they've done wrong and we're saying they won't even ask for forgiveness. They won't even admit they've done wrong and yet it's so obvious they have done wrong and I'm not going to forgive them if they don't at least ask. And God's going in both cases pride and pride, right? It's all pride. It's all sin. And God's saying, would you just quit that? Just forgive them for your good, for your good, and to, oh, because it will be for your good. You can, uh, that's not just God saying that. Every, every psychologist and counselor will tell you that when you forgive, it actually benefits you more than it does the person you're forgiving. And, and so, man, he's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. Get it clean so that's not in the way between us. 
You want to enjoy a powerful prayer life and hear from God, we've got to be willing to do that. Now, I need to tell you this. Sometimes you can't reconcile it. Reconciliation takes two parties that want to solve it, doesn't it? But, but you can do your part. And so sometimes your part is just to say, I'm going to choose to forgive that. I'm going to choose to let that go. I'm going to choose to no longer let that bother me. And to say, God, would you forgive them? I'm forgiving them. You can't even say it to them because they won't listen to you. And that's the step you need to take. God, let me forgive them. Now, by the way, sometimes you will have to take that step again and again and again and again. And every time you feel yourself starting to own that back and thinking those dirty dogs, you got, okay, Lord, no, no, no. I don't want to feel that. I want to give that up. I'm going to give that to you, Lord. I choose to forgive them. A final thought on this point about the broken relationships causing our prayers to be hindered or God to be silent to us. Uh, there's another thought that I just want to say. It happens to actually speaks directly to husbands, and it comes from uh, 1 Peter. Peter's writing and says uh, in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands... In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you as the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Isn't that fascinating? This is directly to you, men and husbands. And what it's really saying is this. Look, look, Peter's saying, I know God's created you to look on the, for the most part that you are the stronger physical person. But they are your partner and they are heirs in what God's given you. And you need to treat them with respect and lift them up. And you need to be careful about your actions toward them and what you say to them. Because otherwise, men, your prayers could be hindered. God could be going, uh-uh. No, you want me to do these things for you and you won't even treat the woman I gave you? You won't even treat your partner with the respect and love that I'm calling you to do? You got to start there. You got to start there. Wow. God wants to teach us men through prayer. The question is, are we listening? And are we willing? Now, sometimes God's silence may just mean there's inadequate faith. Don't have enough faith. Back to the book of James again, chapter one, verse number five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man unstable in all he does. Man, God wants to give us wisdom and to, and to provide for the needs of us, his kids, and he wants us to ask for what we need in that and for the wisdom we need. But he's saying here, don't expect to receive it if you don't believe God's going to give it to you. So how in the world do we solve this problem of inadequate faith? Because sometimes we can have that, can't we? I mean, I'm going to admit, sometimes I feel like I have, don't have near enough of that. So I'm saying, God, how do we solve the problem of inadequate faith? And as I was praying about that, man, it just brought to mind 
a, a story that I love in the New Testament, Jesus. Uh, it's all about Jesus, right? Jesus is, uh, has come down from the mountain with, his, with the, his three close disciples, Peter, James, and John. And there's a big crowd there, and they're all upset about stuff. And it turns out his disciples were trying to cast a demon out of this little boy, and they weren't able to do it. They were failing and Jesus says to, to uh, comes on the scene, and in Mark chapter 9, verse number 21, Jesus asked the boy's father this. How long has he been like this? From childhood, father said. It's often throwing him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds by saying, if I can, if I can. Everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Oh, man. I, I love that prayer. I love that prayer. I, I pray that prayer. I say, God, God, this is, I'm asking you to impact this person's life. I'm asking you to touch this person. Lord, I believe. And I want to believe more. Help my unbelief. He's given me the privilege, the right to be able to call that out. And you know what Jesus' response was to that man who was honest to say, I do believe, but I think I need to believe more. It was to respond to him in the way he asked. It was to begin to increase his faith. And that's exactly what happened with him because Jesus healed the boy and his faith was increased. God wants to teach us through prayer. I pray that for the church here. I pray that for Arbor. God, God. God, just please, would you, would you help us overcome our unbelief? We believe, but we want to be able to have more faith yet. And sometimes, sometimes this is a, the biggie at the end here, is God's silence may mean he wants you to know him better. He wants you to come to know him better. And so he's actually being silent, allowing that to take place. The book of Job is an amazing book that, uh, yeah, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do it, and uh, you probably want to do it in one sitting to, to begin with, just so you can get to the end after the beginning, because, you know, the story of Job, he's this guy who is the wealthiest guy around, he's got this great family, he loves God, everything goes his way, I mean, it's just like, it's a, like a fairy tale thing, man, all of his kids are great, you know, everything is great, and then he loses everything. He loses everything. Kids die, no more wealth, no more prestige, no more power. Everything is gone except for a nagging wife. And there he is. And then he gets hit physically as well. And he is wondering, where is God in this? And all throughout the beginning of the book, God is silent. 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 And even his friends are coming up with ideas and reasons why they think this might be happening to him because it's just so strange. It's just so crazy. It's just so weird. It's just so unlikely. You must have really messed up somewhere. And Job's going, I, if I did, I would repent. And I would ask forgiveness for it. I don't know where I have, if I have. And, I, and I'm not hearing from God. And that really is what drives me crazy. That's Cliff's transliteration. Okay. But that's really where Job was at. He was just going, God, God, where are you at here? And, and, and it seems incredibly unfair 
when we read that because really what it was all about was God and Satan. God telling Satan, have you seen Job? I love that guy. He's awesome. He, he lives for me. He loves me. He, 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 he does what I ask him to do. And Satan says, of course he does. Look at him. You've blessed him and you haven't let me touch him. He's got everything he wants and everything. Of course he loves you. If you, if you took away his stuff and so forth, <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't follow you at all. And God, and God says, oh, yes, he would. Go ahead and try. Now, somehow, God sees that as not really being significant in the scope of eternity. I don't know how that works because for us, all we got is our lives here. And it seems absolutely terrible to us. Why would God allow Job to be a pawn between him and Satan like that and Job not even know what's going on to begin with? But that's where he was. And God comes to Job and he says, and, and, and well, God says nothing to Job to begin with. And finally, in uh, chapter 13, Job is now crying out to God and he's saying in verse 22, now summon me. In other words, God, call me God and I will answer or let me speak to you and you reply. Tell me, what have I done wrong? Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why are you silent? Why do you consider me your enemy? Job is just brokenhearted with this, and God remains silent. And in the middle of that, Job comes to this amazing, incredible conclusion. I think the most remarkable statement of, the, of faith in the entire Bible. And he says this in Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, though God kill me, yet will I trust him. And then later when he pours his heart out some more and God's still not answering, in Job 19, 25, he says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. He's, not, he's silent to me. I'm not hearing him, but I know that he lives and that, I, and that he will stand on the earth at last. God finally does respond to Job by breaking his silence. And when he does, ho, 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 he let Job know without a doubt that he was not in a position to question God. He never did answer Job's questions, but his response was more than enough for Job to suddenly end up having a completely different and better view of God, of recognizing how small he was and how great God is. And so in chapter 30, it's a 42, uh, 42 chapters in the book. In chapter 38, God finally responds. And when he does, boy, he's got a list of questions for Job. And it's a, tr a tremendous description that he goes through. And finally, after he does that, Job responds to him in Job 42, verse number three. And he says, you ask, meaning God, you've asked me this, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. It is I. And I was talking about things I did not understand, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. You read about that in, verse, in chapter 38 and again in, in 40. I had heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. God, Job shows us that the correct response seemed when it seems like God is silent is to have trust, humility, and repentance. And God says, now, now I will respond to you.
Such trust that God's silence can almost become contagious. And where Job could become perfectly confident, so much so that he would be able to say, I know, I know God has heard me, and his silence is the proof that he has. Oh, when we know our relationship is right, and we know God's word, we can actually come to that place where silence is intimacy with him. God, I'm not hearing you, but I trust you. I'm not hearing you, but I know your character. I'm not hearing you, but I'll wait for you. God, I, I love you. I know your silence is proof that you are there. When our prayer is for us to get to know him better, not just to get the answers we want, then we may also experience what I believe is one of the first signs of his intimacy with us. Silence. And for us to be able to rest in that, say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. If there's anything I need to do to make sure we're clear, show me that. And otherwise, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. God wants to teach us through our prayers. James says the prayer of those who believe in Jesus, the prayer of the righteous man has great power. It avails much as it is working, as we use it. So, Arbor, we got to be using it. Amen. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, We want to use the prayer that you've given us, the ability to communicate with you. We want to learn through it. We want to have our hearts open to be, to know you better because of it. And Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening to these words here and everyone who may listen to them online or any other place, God, that you would would speak to them. And if there are other things that have gotten in between to disrupt the communication that you want to have with each one of us. Would you show us those so that we can resolve those and become and enter back into a deep level of communication with the God who loves us so incredibly much, who wants to forgive us. So Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Pray, Lord, that you would answer prayers in this week, that you would break silence for those that you have been silent to in new and unique ways, and that they would learn through prayer how much you love them and care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive his blessing, and then we're going to continue to worship him by singing together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you to give you his peace and his strength so that you can draw closer to him even in his silence. And he'll bless you through it. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord.